This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Well, it's great to be with you guys tonight that are listening by way of radio. This is the first time I've done a radio broadcast myself in a very long time, but I'm thankful that the Creator has blessed me with the time and the strength to be speaking His truth this evening. I want to begin tonight by speaking about the true doctrine of the Father and the Son in Scripture. When I speak of the Father and the Son, I speak of two beings, not one. I do not believe in what's called the Oneness Pentecostal Doctrine, which teaches that our Creator wrapped Himself in a robe of flesh. I believe that such a doctrine is false, finding no basis in the Bible. I also deny the doctrine of the Trinity, doctrine which teaches that there is one God as it pertains to essence or substance, yet three distinct persons within the one essence of God. I believe this doctrine is also erroneous. One thing that Trinitarianism and Oneness Pentecostalism have in common is that they both believe that the Messiah is God. This is commonly stated in Oneness circles with the phraseology, Jesus is God using the proper name for the Messiah, Yeshua, and the proper name for God, Yahweh, it might be stated like this, they believe that Yeshua is Yahweh. Well, I want to make this crystal clear before I begin to unpack the scriptures. I do not believe that Yeshua is Almighty Yahweh. I do not believe that the Messiah is God Almighty. I do not believe that Yahweh is our Messiah. Now, you're probably wondering, well, what do you believe? Let me explain it first, and then I'm going to share with you some scriptural texts that cause me to feel this way about the Father and the Son. See, I believe that there exists only one God. When I use the word one, I use it in its numerical sense. I do not believe that there are two gods or two persons within God, much less three persons. I do not believe that we can speak of multiple minds or multiple wills within God. There is only one supreme being whose personal proper name is Yahweh. Yahweh all by himself is the creator. He states in Isaiah 44, 24, I am Yahweh who made everything, who stretched out the heavens by myself, who alone spread out the earth. I also believe that this one God has one unique son whose personal proper name is Yeshua. The name he was called when he walked upon the earth for about 33 years. This name literally means he will save. And it's the very definition that the angel Gabriel gave to this name in Matthew 1.21 when he as an angel of the Creator relayed Yahweh's message to Joseph who is betrothed to the virgin woman Miriam. See, Yeshua is Yahweh's unique son. Or we may say it like this. He is the only begotten son of Yahweh. That's how it is termed in John 3.16 and also in 1 John 4.9 in the King James Version where we read, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world 
that we might live through him. The English words only begotten stem from a compound word in Greek, and this word is monogenes. The first part of the word, mono, carries with it the meaning of soul, only, or one in number, while the second part of the word, genes, has to do with kind or species. This word is used in the Greek New Testament to speak of the only children or special children of a particular parent. Hebrews 11.17 speaks of Isaac as the monogenes of Abraham. This is a true statement because Isaac was the only child of Abraham born through the wife of promise named Sarah. So Isaac was Abraham's only begotten son. And Yeshua is called the only begotten son of Yahweh. And just like Isaac is not Abraham, Yeshua is not Yahweh. What makes Yeshua one of a kind? What makes him so unique? Well, I believe his most unique trait is the fact that Yahweh planned that Yeshua would be born through a woman that had never been intimate with a man. If you have your Bible with you, turn over to the book of Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. We read in this verse that the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Miriam. You see that word virgin right there? That is the Greek word parthenos. And it's used throughout the Greek Septuagint to speak of young women who have never been intimate with any man. Joseph and Miriam were betrothed, or we might say engaged, but they had not had sexual relations with one another at this time. And this will become more apparent as we continue to read in the passage. In Luke 1, 28 through 33, we read the following. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Miriam, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God, or Yahweh, will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, it's very clear that the message Gabriel had to bring to Miriam was a message that she was going to conceive in her womb and give birth to a male child. She's told here by the angel to name the child Yeshua. Now I recognize that in our English Bibles this name is stated as Jesus, but the name Jesus stems from the Greek, Latin, and English languages and could not have been the original name given to our Hebrew Messiah at his birth. The name of Jesus is less than 500 years old, so this was not the Messiah's given name. Gabriel then tells Miriam that her child will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, we should see a difference here between the Most High and the Son of the Most High. See, the Most High is not Yeshua. Yeshua is the Son of the Most High. And obviously, the student of Scripture will recognize and know that the Most High is Father Yahweh. We know this by the immediate context of Luke 1 because right after the angel says that Yeshua will be called the Son of the Most High, the angel goes on to say, that the Lord God, which is undoubtedly a reference to Yahweh, Yahweh will give Yeshua the throne of his father David. Notice the Lord God is giving something to this child 
and that clearly portrays two beings, one who is the giver and the other who is the receiver. And we also see here that Yeshua's ancestry stems from the line of David. David is called Yeshua's father here. Not in the sense of immediate father, but father is often used in Scripture to denote a high-ranking person in our ancestry. David was thus in Yeshua's genealogy through Mary or Miriam. Yeshua was a descendant from the Davidic line of Yehuda or Judah. Gabriel ends by saying that Yeshua will reign over the house of Jacob forever and have a kingdom that will never end. Now, right away we should see that Miriam was not going to give birth to God. Miriam was not going to conceive the Most High inside of her womb. She was going to give birth to the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. This does not mean that Yahweh violated Miriam's virginity. But what it does mean is that Yahweh performed the miraculous or the supernatural. It's similar to the account in the book of Genesis where Yahweh miraculously opened up the womb of 90-year-old Sarah. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. She was too old to have children. As a matter of fact, according to Genesis 18, 9-15, when Sarah heard the angel say she was going to have a child, she laughed because she thought to herself, After I have become shriveled up and my Lord is old, will I have delight? See, Yahweh performed nothing short of a miracle upon Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was past the age of producing a child as well. Genesis 17:17 records Abraham saying, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? What seems impossible, though, in the natural is possible with Yahweh in the supernatural. And in the case of Abraham and Sarah, Yahweh opened up Sarah's womb and performed spiritual surgery on Abraham and Sarah, causing them to procreate Isaac. Yahweh did not violate their marriage bed in doing so, nor did he violate Miriam's virginity in the Luke 1 account. So what did Miriam think of all this? Well, remember, she was a Parthenos, a woman who had not had sexual relations. What did she say to the angel Gabriel? Well, her response is recorded in Luke one thirty four, where she responds to Gabriel by saying this, How can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? And that's how the HCSB Bible translates it. Now I ask you, what do you make out of this response? I've seen people attempt to perform spiritual gymnastics on this text because they just do not want to believe the scriptures when it comes to the doctrine of the virgin conception and virgin birth of Yeshua the Messiah. I think the answer is obvious though. After Miriam hears Gabriel tell her that she is going to conceive and birth a son, she wonders how this is even possible and thus she basically asks Gabriel, how in the world am I going to get pregnant? I've never had sexual relations with a man. So what does Gabriel say? Does he respond by saying, well, you'll go into Joseph, consummate your marriage, and the natural course of events will take place? Well, no. Gabriel doesn't say this, and the reason he doesn't respond like this is because the birth of this child would be unique. He would be one of a kind. As I explained from the Greek language previously, this child would be monogamous. Virgin women do not conceive children but the common way of conception would be bypassed in this case with a unique way of conception. Gabriel responds to Miriam's question in Luke one thirty-five by saying this, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you 
Therefore the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. See, Gabriel explains to Miriam that the Holy Spirit or the power of the Most High, and notice how the Holy Spirit and power of the Most High are synonymous, this would come upon her or overshadow her. And then we have the word therefore, which in the Greek is diokai, meaning as the New American Standard Bible translates it, for that reason the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Gabriel is explaining to Miriam that because the conception and birth of Miriam's child will be without the aid of a man, the common way of conception, it is for this reason precisely that the offspring within her will be called the Son of God. Notice that the child in her is not said to be called God or Yahweh or the Most High or the Almighty. He is rather termed as God's Son. And I believe that is exactly who Yeshua is. He is the Son of Almighty Yahweh. And this is exactly who Yahweh said Yeshua was. Yahweh himself told people who saw Yeshua with their own eyes who Yeshua was. We have the first account of this in Matthew 3. 13 through 17, where Yeshua was baptized by Yohanan, the Immerser, or John the Baptist. The text tells us that when Yeshua came up out of the water, that the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, and a voice came out of the heavens and said this about Yeshua, This is my beloved Son. I take delight in Him. Yahweh is speaking from heaven here, telling the people that are present at Yeshua's baptism that Yeshua is His Son. And Yahweh is telling you that same thing today. He's telling you when you read this account, He is still saying about Yeshua, This is my Son. Do you believe the voice of Yahweh today? John the Baptist believed the voice from heaven because in John 1.34 we read that John says, I have seen and testified that He is the Son of God. Now we have another account of the very voice of Yahweh in Matthew 17, 1 through 5, at what is called the Mount of Transfiguration. Here we see that Yeshua took Peter, James, and John, three of his disciples, with him to a high mountain, and he was transformed right in front of them. What actually happened here was this. These disciples saw a vision of the future kingdom of Yahweh. For not only was Yeshua transformed, they also envisioned Elijah and Moses on either side of Yeshua. Verse 5 tells us that a bright cloud covered over top of the disciples and a voice came out from the cloud. Do you know what the voice said? It said this. This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Listen to him. Once again, we have Yahweh speaking from heaven, telling people that Yeshua is his son, his beloved son. The question is whether or not we're going to believe Yahweh and trust what He says. Yahweh has a son. He really does have a unique, beloved son. You know, we actually have a first-hand conversation between Yeshua and His disciples about the identity of Yeshua. This conversation is found in Matthew 16, 13 through 18. And I'd like to walk through it with you tonight, if that's okay. Matthew 16, 13 records Yeshua asking this question to His disciples. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? The disciples give various answers in verse 14, telling him that some say he is John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Yeshua then follows his first question up with a similar one 
in Matthew 16, 15 when he says, But you, who do you say that I am? And I want you to recognize here that Yeshua is the one asking the question. And he is asking a direct question about his identity. So if there is a scripture that's going to teach us exactly who Yeshua is, this is the scripture that's going to do it. Now in verse 16, we have Shimon Kepha, known commonly as Simon Peter, answering Yeshua by saying this, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now let's stop here for a second and examine Peter's response. His first answer is, You are the Messiah. And the word Messiah is basically a transliteration of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means anointed. In other words, if you are a Mashiach or Messiah, it means that someone anointed you with power, authority, or in some other manner. And here, Peter is acknowledging that Yeshua was anointed. And catch this. Catch that Yeshua is the anointed one. He's not the one doing the anointing. He is the one being anointed. Peter mentions this in another passage in Acts 10.38 where he says of Yeshua that Yahweh anointed Yeshua of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and Yeshua went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because Yahweh was with him. Notice carefully in Acts 10.38 that Yahweh anointed Yeshua with the Holy Spirit and with power. Yeshua was able to heal those oppressed by the devil because Yahweh was with him. Yeshua was not Yahweh. Yahweh was with Yeshua. Now, let's go back to Matthew 16, 16 because Peter's next response to Yeshua's question of who do you say that I am is this. You are the son of the living God. And do you see the two beings mentioned in that phrase? You have the living God and the son of the living God. Now, surely Peter did not believe Yeshua was the living God. The English term living God is used about 30 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And Matthew 16, 16 teaches us that in none of those times is Yeshua ever considered to be the living God. For instance, when Yehoshua or Joshua stated in Joshua 3.10, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you. Joshua was not talking about the future Messiah. He was talking about Yahweh, the living God. Yeshua is the son of the living God. So, after Peter gave Yeshua his answer in Matthew 16, 16, what did Yeshua say to him? Well, we find Yeshua's response to Peter beginning in Matthew 16, 17, where he says, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Yeshua pronounces Peter as blessed here, and this is obviously because Peter gave him the correct answer. Peter correctly identified who Yeshua was. And we know this because Yeshua goes on to say that flesh and blood did not reveal this to Peter, but rather the Father who was where? Standing in front of Peter? No, no. The Father who was in heaven. See, there is no way that Peter's answer was wrong because the Father in heaven gave Peter the answer by revelation. Peter got it by heavenly revelation. Peter believed Yeshua was the son of Yahweh. Peter did not believe that Yeshua was Yahweh. In Matthew 16, 18, Yeshua goes on to say that upon Peter's revelation, the assembly will be built. And I want you to take note that you only build upon a complete foundation. This means that Peter's answer about who Yeshua was was not a partial answer. It was not part of who Yeshua was. It was all 
of who Yeshua was. This was a foundational revelation to build the assembly upon. And the true assembly of Yahweh is built upon this foundation today. The assembly of Yahweh is not built upon Yahweh coming down from heaven and wrapping himself in a robe of flesh. No, that is false doctrine. The true assembly is built upon the fact that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that Yahweh sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. 1 John 4, verse 14. Martha, the very sister of a different Miriam, believed the truth about who Yeshua was too. In John eleven twenty-five through 26, Yeshua tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will not die forever. Do you believe this? And Martha responds to Yeshua in John eleven twenty seven 27 by saying, Yes, Master, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. See, Martha did not believe that that was Yahweh standing there with her. Martha knew the truth about Yeshua. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of Yahweh. Yahweh really does have a son. You know, we have to believe this about Yeshua in order to overcome the world and in order for Yahweh the Father to dwell with us. 1 John 4, 14 through 15 tells us what our confession should be. It says, And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Yeshua is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. Do you confess that today? I don't speak of just mouthing it with your lips while your heart is far from it. Do you truly believe that Yeshua is Yahweh's Son? 1 John 5, 5 tells us this, And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Yeshua is the Son of God? Once again, I do not mean that you just speak it with your mouth. You've got to really believe it in your heart and mind. You know, if you do not believe in the Son, you do not have eternal life but rather you await the wrath of Yahweh upon you. John 3.35 says this, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. 1 John 5.12 says this, The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Did you know that even the demons know the true identity of Yeshua? Let me first show you that they know who Yahweh is. In the book of James 2, verse 19, we read the following. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. James is telling us that the demons believe that God is one. The demons know who Yahweh is. And I believe this is because the demons are none other than the group of angels that fell under the headship of the dragon, that old serpent who is called the devil and Satan. See, they were once angels of Yahweh, but after their fall because of following the lead of the dragon, they are now known as demons. They know that God is one. They know exactly who Yahweh is. And these same demons, these same fallen angels, also know who Yeshua is. And they shudder at Yeshua too. I'll just go to one text that shows this. In Mark 5, we read of a man possessed with an unclean spirit. No one was able to restrain this man with chains for he would just break the chains off himself. The text tells us that he lived among the tombs and in the mountains and would constantly cut himself with stones. 
However, when this man saw Yeshua, and when the demons in this man saw Yeshua, the man ran to and knelt down before Yeshua. He then cried out with a loud voice, according to Mark 5, verse 7, saying, What do you have to do with me, Yeshua, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. Now I want you to notice here that these demons identified Yeshua as the Son of the Most High God. These are some of the same demons who know who the Most High God is. They know the one God, but they also know Yeshua is the Son of the one God. The devil himself knows who Yeshua is. In Matthew 4 verse 3, the devil tempts Yeshua by saying this, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The devil knew he was not tempting Almighty Yahweh. Almighty Yahweh cannot be tempted by the devil. The devil was tempting and being sarcastic towards Yeshua. He was in essence tempting him and saying, If you are really who you claim to be, the Son of God, then you should be able to turn these stones into food. Of course, Yeshua did not give in to the devil's wicked schemes. And right here in Matthew 4, verses 5 through 7, we have another great proof that Yeshua is not Yahweh. Here, the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and tells him, If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down from here. The devil then quotes a scripture from Psalm 91 about the angels being able to protect the children of Yahweh from harm. How did Yeshua respond? Well, Yeshua responded by quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Yeshua said, It is also written, Do not test Yahweh your God. See, Yeshua would have been testing Yahweh had he jumped off the pinnacle of the temple. Some people attempt to use this passage to prove Yeshua is Yahweh by saying, See, Satan was tempting Yeshua, and Yeshua said, You shall not test Yahweh your God. But the obvious problem here is that Deuteronomy 6 verse 16, the commandment not to test Yahweh, was not written to Satan. It was written to the people of Israel, of whom Yeshua was one of. When Yeshua said, you shall not test Yahweh, he was speaking the verse as a command to himself, not a command to the devil. What we have here is a clear separation between Yeshua and Yahweh. Had Yeshua jumped off the pinnacle of the temple, he would have been testing Yahweh. These two are separated, and they're separated all through the Scriptures. One very clear text that separates Yahweh and Yeshua is found in the stoning of the man Stephen in Acts 7, 54 through 60. Right before the crowd hurled rocks at Stephen, he looked up into heaven and he said this, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now I want you to notice that Stephen saw not one being, Stephen saw two beings. He saw the one God in some way, and then he saw the Son of Man standing at God's right hand. We should know that shortly after Yeshua's resurrection, he ascended up to heaven to take his place at the right hand of God. You know, Saul of Tarsus was shown the revelation that Yeshua was the Son of Yahweh. We know that he was against Yeshua prior to being given this revelation. Saul actually stood by and consented to the stoning of Stephen. But Saul had a visitation from the Messiah on the road to Damascus. Saul was heading to Damascus and he was ready and willing to bind any believers in the Messiah and throw them into prison. You can read about Saul's encounter with Yeshua in Acts 9, 3 through 19. But for now, I want to center in on what Saul preached after he had his encounter. According to Acts 9, verse 20, it says, Immediately he began proclaiming Yeshua in the synagogues. He is the Son of Yahweh. 
Saul did not start going around to all of the synagogues and teach that Yeshua was Yahweh in a robe of flesh. He did not teach that Yahweh was the Messiah. No, Saul began to teach that Yahweh had a son. He began to teach that Yeshua was the promised Messiah. Yeshua was the son of the living God. He got the same revelation that Peter got back in Matthew 16. And I could go on and on and on about Yeshua, the son of Yahweh, and I plan to do so for the next several weeks, but I don't have much time left in this broadcast. So I just want to close by telling you that Yahweh loved the world in this way. According to John 3.16, Yahweh gave His only begotten Son. He really did. He loves that Son. And if you believe in His Son, you will have eternal life. But you've got to truly believe in Him. You've got to get the same revelation that Peter got, that Saul got, that Martha got. Yahweh is telling you today about Yeshua. He is saying to you, this is my Son. Yeshua is my Son. Will you believe in the Son? You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678 347 Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.